me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reardon. We're super excited to be joined today by Alvernia Catcher and maybe a little transition to outfielder, yes, Tommy Fagioni. So Tommy is a St. Joe's Metuchen alumni. He's a baseball warehouse alumni. We're pumped to have him on the show today. I was talking with Tommy earlier in the week, and I said that, you know, being a coach at the D3 level now, I haven't had a D3 guy on the podcast yet. So I'm super excited to chop it up about the level that has uh, has meant so much to us over these past couple of years and just get into the nitty gritty about some stuff that we haven't really been able to dive into on the podcast yet. So, Tommy, um, pumped to have you, man. Thanks for joining us. And if you just want to provide us with some background, man, please feel free. Sure, sure. Yeah, D3 lives matter, man. Uh, but, yeah, I went to St. Joe's, like Eric said, um, freshman year, sophomore year. I was your typical, you know, high school athlete, freshman year. I was on the freshman team, sophomore year. I was on JV, uh, both years I split time. Um, so I came into the warehouse, you know, seeking a, a chance to create separation really. Uh, and I found that a lot through the off season hitting program and the strength and conditioning. Um, so you were a senior when I was a freshman. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I just remember looking up to you and you were, you were huge, man. And I was like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be like that guy. You know, I was like 125 as a freshman. Uh, 125 pounds so but came in looking to, to find that separation so we get to junior year of high school and you know we go you know we had five days a week lifting right. and get up every single morning at uh god five in the morning uh, i used to chug raw eggs <laughs> before joe's workouts just so i could get that little extra protein before lifting um and then go get after it at 5 30 to 7 joe would drive us to uh to class to st joe's like four or five of us and uh, five days a week, that's all we did for two months. And, you know, we get to junior year um, and it's first game of the season at East Brunswick. And I remember it was between me and another junior catcher and he got the start and I was devastated. And uh, it was a cold, cold, rainy day. And that East Brunswick, on that East Brunswick turf, it was it was cold. And I just remember being devastated, but I was, you know, on the fence. I wasn't going to let that bother me. I was going to, you know, cheer my teammate on. And uh, he ended up... Uh, Thankfully, but unfortunately, going he was like 0 for 2 with two looking Ks. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, get me in this game. Get me in this game. And I just remember, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start getting loose. I'm going to be ready for my chance. And it must have been, you know, the fifth fifth or sixth inning, big spot. It's like a 1-1 game. And I get a pinch hit. And I don't know if you remember Joe Falco. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I went to St. Joe's. Um, he's throwing, and he's throwing hard. And like I said, it's cold. I came off the bench. And I'm like, all right, man, you know what? This is my shot. Like, I've already, you know, seen. I'm like, all right, you can't go get any worse from here, right? right. Didn't get to start. Just going to let it happen. Just going to play the game and, uh, you know, pinch hit, double in the gap, you know, scored the, the go-ahead run. I think we ended up winning that game 2-1. And then uh, ever since there in high school, that was it. Um, I just became a workhorse, you know, in the weight room, um, on the field, whenever I could. And uh, I really just, you know, won that spot through hard work and a lot, a lot of effort. Um, so fast forward a couple of years. Um, so I'm in college now. I go to Alberta University. Um, I was a catcher. And then uh, so COVID was my freshman year. Um, so we get to the springtime. I, I earned the starting job. Uh, we're down in Florida and Fort Myers. And we must have gotten in 11, 12 games before COVID shut us down. Uh, so we're on the we're on the plane back. I had won. I won the starting job down in Florida. I played that whole week. Uh, we get back, we're supposed to play TCNJ at our place. And again, it was a rainy day, uh, so we got rained out. And the following day, we're getting ready to play. And coach called us. Uh, we were, no, no, no. It got scheduled for two days later, so we had practice. 
and coach called us all over and he was on the phone for practice uh, during practice. So it was a little weird. Uh, so he gets that call. It's like, you know, a couple of teams in our conference like shut down the season. We're like, what's going on? Uh, calls us in the locker room and is just basically like, yeah, you got to grab your things. Uh, everybody's supposed to be sent home. The school sent out that order. Um, so that was, that was, that was definitely craziness. Um, uh, so I just went home, you know, packed it up. Uh, and that was it for my freshman year of college. Um, so, you know, it was really, it was really like a, I don't even know how to explain it. It was a uh, very anticlimactic, um, you know, it got geared up won the starting job behind the plate and then COVID hit, shut us down. So I come back sophomore year and I get beat out behind the plate, um, by, uh, one of my, uh, teammates that was in the same, same year as me. Um, and so I get beat out behind the plate. So I'm like, oh man, like, what am I going to do? Uh, DH a little bit, um, played outfield. That's when I got introduced to the outfield, never played outfield before in my life. Um, and I think that's where a, a big piece of, you know, being versatile comes in and, you know, uh, just playing the game to, for the sake of playing the game, like get me in wherever you can. Um, and then ever since then, I've been uh, bouncing back and forth. And now I would say more mainly an outfielder than, than catching. I'll still probably catch, you know, anywhere between six to 10 games this year for us, but uh, definitely more of an outfielder now. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome, man, to be able to share that story. And I think the the main theme that I get from it is just like how you're able to handle adversity. Right. So the first point that sticks out is every time we talk about 5 a.m. lifts here at the warehouse when we were in high school, mm -hmm. like what other than making us stronger and turning us into bigger, faster, stronger ball players, Right. You learn how to not hit snooze on that alarm at 4.30 when it wakes you up. You learn how to choke those eggs like Rocky Balboa style so you can have something in your belly when you get here. Mm -hmm. And then you got to come in and put your work in. It's not just about driving here with, you know, rubbing the crust out of your eyes. It's right. about getting in here and getting your work in so that when you leave at the end of the day, you know you're a better ball player than when you came in. So I think a lot of what that program offers is your introduction to handling adversity and being able to succeed in the face of that. And then like you're saying, you get to school, COVID happens right after you win a starting job. Now we come back and things are different and I got to switch positions, but you're able to find a, find a way to succeed and keep yourself in the lineup. So what has that like facing adversity meant to you and being able to handle that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been huge for me in baseball for, for the adversity. And I think it's just, it's that much more. It helps me out in life. It's just the little things, man. I mean, you know, anybody can throw anything at you, but you know, you can only control what you can control. And I think, I think that's a huge, huge factor for me, you know, something I try to live by. Um, and, and, you know, there's so many uncontrollables in life and in baseball. And, and when we focus on the little things and doing little things, right. You know, we just worry about getting 1% better every single day. And if you get 1% better every single day, you're 365% better at the end of the year. And that accounts for any, anything you do, school, baseball, work, uh, your relationships, I think. Um, and I think that this program has instilled that in me in a big, big way, even though they're little, little things. Yeah. I mean, we're super fortunate here at the warehouse to have such a good environment to be brought up in and to kind of have that foundation where, like you're saying, everybody's a little bit different of a ball player, but I think at the end of the day, the real value that we have and that I think can speak to anybody that listens to this podcast or is just a baseball guy is that like we've talked about before, how you do something is how you do everything. So when you learn at an early age when you're in high school that, you know, we have to stay after it and we have to work hard, that translates to the classroom, to your relationships, to, you know, fill in the blank, mm -hmm. as you're saying. And I think, too, going back to our D3 topic, right, the D3 lifestyle, like you're saying, speaks to that in a way that some other levels might not be able to do. So what I'm interested in is you talk about your development through high school where you play freshman, 
split time on JV, and then finally your junior year, you end up on that varsity field. So what we've been talking a bunch about on the podcast so far is just everybody's recruiting process. Granted, it looks a little bit different, but what I've had my eyes open to being at the D3 level these past two seasons now is just how late this recruiting process happens. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of lenses you can attack that from where it looks like a negative, where it's like, okay, like these options are exhausted for me and now I have to do, like this is what I have left. I think in a totally different light, what I've started to realize is that guys who are in high school might be late bloomers. You know, you might be a guy that, like you're saying, was 125 as a freshman, and then you put on 50 pounds by the time you're a senior, and now you get an awesome opportunity to go play college ball. So talk about what your recruiting process looked like and how it compared to your development as a player in high school. Yeah, um, when I was junior and senior, typically when that, you know, or sophomore, when that recruiting process takes place, I was getting super frustrated, to be honest. I was like, you know, I was going out to camps. I was, you know, doing everything that I thought that I could do, uh, sending out emails um, to, to a bunch of schools, seeing who would reply. And that's what your typical process looks like. And then you get a couple answers, you know, for every, you know, 25 emails you send, you're going to get one response. But where, what I think I, um, I think I took, uh, I took it for granted how late that process, you know, happened because I didn't commit Alvernia until I was uh, a senior, until February of my senior year, so right before the season started. And I, I remember committing, and it was a big relief. But looking back now, I definitely think that I could have um, been more thankful for that because that allowed me to go go through what schools I was looking at and really look at, all right, how far away is it from home? Uh, how much is it going to cost? You know, what, what do I want to do with my life after school? Um, a lot of big things. What's the, what's the culture of the team like? What are the right. coaches like, you know? how much am I going to have to be accountable for myself? Like, is it a good program, you know? And I think the the lateness that I was afforded allowed me, looking back now, allowed me to make a better decision for myself, right? And just because some, a coach offers you, you might offer you freshman, sophomore year of high school, that doesn't mean it's always the right choice or the right fit. Amen. And like you said, uh, I don't know which podcast, I think it was your first podcast when you're talking about, you know, your, your career. I don't know how many times your coaches changed, you know? Right. And, and that can happen before you even get there. Yep. So, you know, and, and with different coaches comes a lot of different things, a lot of different cultures, um, you know. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Uh, and again, it doesn't, you know, D3, D1. I, I was, you know, like I said, I was frustrated. I was like, man, D1 or bust, you know, I just want to go D1. And looking back now, I'm so thankful for it because it doesn't really matter where you go. If you're good, you're good at anything, at any level. You know, as long as you're accountable for yourself and you do what you put your head down, do the work and, you know, do get done what you need to get done. I'm, I'm a firm believer that good things will happen. I, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying there, especially when you're talking about how early on when you're going through that process, you're saying, man, I'm frustrated by how, how long this thing is stretching itself out. And then you turn the page and you say, you know, that lateness you were afforded. I think that's the perspective that needs to be emphasized because like you're saying, there's more to picking a college. There's more to picking a school than, what's the logo on the what's the logo on the jersey how many likes am i going to get on my instagram post when i commit so right much like more. you're in a situation where your freshman year at alvernia you win a starting catching job and then you know stuff hits the fan with covid and we've all been through that right but then you come back that opportunity is not there but you have a chance because you understand the culture of the team because you like where you're at because the coaching staff treats you the right way right you got a good group of guys around you that you have an opportunity to change positions and go play the outfield, right? Where if you didn't have the time to make that decision, you might've ended up at a place where they were saying, Hey, Tommy, we brought you in as a catcher. We got this other guy that's catching, go find a different place to play. So I think 
to the high school guys out there that might listen to this podcast, I think Tommy's message in there is super important. Your message is awesome where find a place where you fit in more than just X's and O's and physically on the field. Find a place where you have an opportunity, where it's a good fit, where a lot of this stuff lines up for you. And going off that, right, like we talk about the culture. That's a subject that I've never advertently asked a question about here, but it seems like my conversations always go back to the culture of the program. And when I think about D3 baseball, what I've noticed at Rutgers Newark is our intensity, our level of practice is legit. Like the practices we run at the D3 level with far less resources than I was used to at Rutgers in New Brunswick is super impressive to me. I love how our guys are able to get after it. And I think that speaks a lot to the the culture. And like you said, right at the top of the show, D3 lives matter, right? Like you guys come in with a, with a chip on your shoulder where, listen, I might've been overlooked here. I am now, but I'm going to get after it. I'm going to turn myself into a good ball player. So talk about what the practice environment looks like. Talk about how you guys grind in the off season and prepare yourselves for games at Alvernia. Yeah. Um, so I think a big eye opener for me in college was the amount uh, you have to be a lot more accountable for yourself in college. Definitely. So, you know, we have we have long three hour practices and by three hours, they're supposed to be three hours. Sometimes <laughs> they, they run up close to four hours. And sometimes on the weekends, coaches like, all right, they're at 7 a.m. All right. Coach is like, all right, meet you at the turf at two. You know, go get some lunch and we'll, we'll, we'll see you back at two. Um, so it, it's a lot and it can be it can be honestly boring at some points when you're not when you're not doing anything. You have to have the um, the wherewithal and the ability to be like, all right, you know, I need to go find something productive to do. And I need to do it to the best of my ability, right? And it's going to be a lot of, you know, coaches aren't always going to be watching. There's only four of our coaches and there's, you know, 50, 40 of us. So, yep. you know, and when, especially when you're inside, you know, you, there's, there's so many different moving pieces. Um, so we, yep. ha- we have an indoor uh, facility. And uh, so we'll have a week of pitchers and catchers where it's a lot of bullpens, a lot of catching work. So I still go to that because um, I'll still be catching a little bit. Uh, but then we really get into it, and and it's a lot of plays, 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 and oh man, if you let it, it will eat you up mentally, it'll eat you up physically. Uh, it, it's a lot of focus needed, um, and by plays, I mean you know all your first and thirds, your bunt defense, um, your your no look picks, stuff like that, your PFPs, um, and, and if you're not finding a way to engage in that practice, I, I think you're just losing out on an opportunity to get a little better. You know, whether it's me as a catcher learning the tendencies of my pitchers during PFPs. Uh, you know, a big thing we talk about at our school is, you know, know your runners, know your defense, right? I got to know which first baseman can move, which can't for bunt defense, same thing on third. Uh, I got to know which uh, pitchers I have confidence to, to to get a ball that's, you know, questionable between the catcher and the pitcher for a bunt um, and which guys I have to really get out there. And, and there's different guys. Some guys are more athletic than others. Some guys were like, coach looks at me and he's like, you cannot let that guy field that ball. He is just a, a, a minus, minus fielder. And, and that's okay. Everybody's different. And, and you just have to know that and, and, and know your own guys. Um, so when you have some downtime, you know, or when you're not up during a play or something like that, I know I, I've really learned to try to scan the room and try to figure out, you know, like what, who can do what and what's everybody, everybody's abilities because, you know, you want to know who you're working with when you're out on the field together. You know, you want to know who the guy next to you is, what they're all about, what they can do. Um, so from that aspect, that that's that's more of the the college that uh, the college game that I wasn't really expecting going in. And then from a, a culture standpoint, um, I think a lot of our culture comes from our coaches, and I think a lot of our culture comes from our upperclassmen. Um, this year, I think you know there's only four or five, or there's six seniors, uh, myself included, 
Uh, so, and, and there's a lot of freshmen, there's a lot of freshmen that came in this class. So, you know, we have to work really, really hard to, from the top down to, to provide a good culture. And, you know, it's not just telling guys what to do, it's, you know, doing it ourselves and, and showing them, um, and, and not being too tough on guys. Cause you want to, you want to have high expectations, but you also want to have high support for your guys, you know? Um, but, but that being said, you really want to push guys to be the best in everything that they do. And I think that's something as seniors that we really try to do. Um, cause when I, I remember when I was a freshman, we had, uh, an all American, uh, second baseman and he, uh, Mike Cirilli, he was just unbelievable, uh, in everything he did. It seemed like he, he just did it with such ease and, and he never asked you to, to go put, pick something up or, uh, go move something. He would, he would always say, you know, it takes me more effort to ask somebody else to do it. I'm just going to go do it myself. Um, and that's, I think he's the best leader I've ever played with, uh, and maybe even be, been surrounded by in my life. So. You know, kind of all that, those different aspects mix in there for the culture, for, for our organization, I think. Yeah, and I, I think what sticks out to me there, too, is, well, first off, it's awesome that you have an example set early on in your career by by your second baseman, Mike, where he's saying, listen, like, this is just the way we're going to do things. Like, I'm not better than anybody else. And to have that, I'm sure it means a lot to him where he can kind of look back now and say, you know what, I have guys like Tommy who were freshman when I was here and they still that trickle down effect still plays right and I, I have that too where I see guys that are like that just get it some guys get it and some guys you really got to push them and push them and push them and some guys are just never going to get it and it sucks but you still got to work with them you still got to learn how to play with them you know absolutely and that that reminds me of one of the things I always used to say when I was trying to have that impact on younger guys when I was playing was to be a leader on the field you also have to find a way to be a leader off the field so what that means to me is like in the classroom I got to make sure you know I can't tell you how many times I had guys coming up to me saying, E, should I skip class today? And it's like, you're asking the wrong guy. Exactly. Like, no, just go. I know. Just go, right? Or even, like, we're out on the weekends. Like, I can be that guy where obviously everybody knows that's a part of college baseball or mm -hmm. college in general where you're going to go out and hang out with your buddies on the weekends, right? But if I can be there to kind of over oversee and say, like, you know, young guys coming in are excited. They don't have to listen to their mom and dad. There's no real curfew, right? So they're like, provide some direction and say, hey, listen, we can get up to this point, but we have to understand that the mission is get ourselves right on the baseball field when we go back to practice on Monday. So I guess what I'm getting at there is how much does it mean to you to kind of find that balance of we're going to have fun because we're college ball players and we're kids at college, right? But we got to find that balance where objective number one is succeed on the baseball field. So how much does that off the field piece connect in your mind to what happens on the field? I, I think it's huge because a lot of the stuff we're talking about while we are talking about baseball, and we're baseball guys. I think a lot of it applies to outside baseball, like we were talking about in the beginning um, and, and how you treat people. I, I mean, I don't I, I love our, our cafeteria staff. I, I, every time I go in there, they got smiles on their faces and, and they work a tough job. You know, they work long hours and they work with a lot of kids that are impatient and rude, to be honest. And, and I see it, I see some of our teams and even just students just go in and they're just completely disrespectful. And it really bothers me sometimes, but um, you know, I think translating, you know, you know, the way you treat people, caring, putting caring, care and effort into uh, the way you treat people, uh, how you go about your classwork, you know, getting your homework done, like we were talking about before. Um, I think it all matters because, you know, those little things, I think good habits translate to good habits on the field. Like, for example, um, this year, I, I was totally floating by my, my, my first half of this, uh, this past semester. I was like, man, like these classes are going by quick. They're easy. But it was, I had a bunch of those courses where I had a lot of work to do at the end of the semester. Right. So I wasn't, right. I wasn't, I didn't look at the syllabus. 
uh, as much as I should have. And I kind of just floated by. I was like, man, I'm living the dream. Like, this is senior year. It's easy. Like, I can hang out with my buddies. I can do whatever I want. And then it all hit me at once. And I was working, too, um, for the school. And uh, it all hit me at once. You know, class, baseball, uh, work. And I totally mentally burned out because I was just not, you know, doing – I wasn't operating at a high level in the classroom. And I was like, man, I need to get back to where I need to be because I feel like if you if you understand how to operate at a high level in the classroom, then you can understand how to operate at a high level on the baseball field or in a relationship. You know, you know what it takes if you do one thing at a high level, you understand what you need to do specifically because everybody's different. Um, what you need to do, whatever you need to put in, how much extra work you need to do, uh, you know, what little things you need to feel in order to do anything right in whatever you do. And I think that's huge. I think it's a huge component for, for me, for baseball and for life. I think. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like we were talking about earlier, like how you do something is how you do everything. Right. Yeah. And we've all met those guys on the baseball field that can take this time of year we're in during the off season or the winter time yeah. and not pick up a bat, not pick up a ball. They show up on campus for the first practice and boom, they're right back into it. And then you see guys that are on the other end of the spectrum where they need a little extra development. They come into their facility in the wintertime and they get after it and they come back to the school a totally different ball player. So the, the next thing that sticks out in my brain from, from what you're saying so far is like you're talking about how your coaches will say, hey, listen, we need to make sure on this bunt player, this PFP, this guy stays away from the ball. We need someone else to get there. So I think the off, off the field piece that connects there is understanding the different personalities of different guys. Because I know I've played with and I'm sure you've played with guys that would take that personally and when they're on the field they're like i know you don't think i can make the play so i'm going to try to do some superhuman effort to go make that happen and that's great we love we love it when guys are involved and they want to succeed but sometimes that's not what's best for the ball club right if my totally. if my second baseman is the all-american i want him to get over to cover first base totally. on this fun i don't need somebody doing something extra the pitcher trying to go over to cover whatever it might be so talk about how the personality piece off the field connects to executing those X's and O's once you get on the field. Yeah, oh, man, this this really rings true for me because one of my one of my best friends uh, and teammates, uh, he's a pitcher, left-handed pitcher. It's so funny because we are, you know, very different on the, on the baseball field. And a, a big thing that we talk about with our pitching staff, uh, our pitching coach talks about, is the intensity that you play at. You know, some guys play at a four or five. Some guys play at a nine or a ten. And my best friend, he he's a 10. Like he is, you know, screw you in your face. Like, I don't care who you are. Step up right now. He's, you know, chirping hitters as they're walking back to the dugout if he gets them out. Uh, it's it's really funny actually to watch. And it's even it's even better when we're going against each other in our squads. Like, you know, me, me, and, uh, me and him are just going back and forth. Like during the middle of an inner squad, like, fuck you, no, fuck you. And our coach, <laughs> our coach loves it. It's awesome, but uh, it's great energy. But one, one big thing for him and for me is you need to know what you need to do to be at the intensity that you need to be at to be successful. And you need to do that consistently. So I think, you know, for me as a catcher, when I do catch, uh, when I when he's when I notice he's not, you know, himself, he's a little bit off or, or when he's warming up before he goes in the game, he's a starting pitcher. Uh, I need to get in his face and I need to be like, listen, like, let's fucking go. Like, do what you need to do. Stop, you know, BSing and, and get it done. And he'll be like, he'll give me like a, you know, whatever, dude. Like, screw you. But it works. Like, And then you know he's back to where he needs to be. And, and, and then I'm like, all right, here we go. Like, these hitters are in trouble. Um, it, it's it's really cool to see. But, you know, you take that and you translate that to a big pitching staff. Um, and, and then your fielders, too. Like, you need to, you know, give support to your other, to your other teammates as well. Um, I think it's a big, big 
undervalued aspect of the game, especially in college, to not to to be able to know who you're working with, like we said before, and uh, to know what you need to do. You know, some guys they you, you need to get in their face. Some guys are softer. You need to you know motivate them, uh, tell them it's going to be all right, stuff like that. Um, and, and I think it really you know there's a big difference between the two. Yeah, I agree, and I think too. Having a having a brother that plays is something that taught me that lesson. And I know you're in that same boat where your younger brother played too. I know my brother Danny still pitches for us at Newark. And I see the same thing that you're talking about with your buddy, where I know Danny needs me to go out and make a mound visit when he starts to like his shoulders drop and he starts to like place his pitches because he's at his best. I remember from playing with a ball in the yard when we were pegging each other at a hundred miles an hour and he's getting frustrated and fired up. So my mound visits when my brother's on the mound and he needs a little slap in the behind is, Hey man, you kind of suck right now. <laughs> and I didn't put you on the mound to suck, right? Yeah. I put you on the mound to go get hitters out. So I don't know what the hell is going on with you, but you got to figure it out right now or else I got this guy warming up in the bullpen for you. On the other hand, there's some guys where you got to go out there and they're not operating at that 10. Like we're talking about, they're operating at that four or five, like you're saying, where it's like, all right, catch your breath. You know, I'm just out here to give you a breather. Let's relax. Let's get back in the zone. So Touch on that a little bit. What is it? What did it mean to you and your development as the as the leadership figure we're talking about, where you got a little brother looking up to you? Yeah. So my brother Joey, he was me and him were definitely opposites. I'm more of like a if we're talking numbers, like a seven or eight. Like I like to get up there, um, and I get pissed off when guys when I feel guys aren't giving the same effort that I'm giving, and I feel like that can definitely be misinterpreted for a guy that just is a lower intensity kind of guy. And for I sure. think that that was my brother. And I would like totally get in his face and I think I would make him really upset. Um, so I think you have to also remember, and, I, and I've done it at school too. Like, you know, even this past uh, fall, I, I would be talking to one of our, our younger coaches that helps out every now and then because, you know, it's more relatable. I'd be like, you know, I'm just trying to be a, a good senior leader. Like, do I need to get, like, should I get, do you think I should get in this guy's face or do you think he's really giving his best effort? And he's like, I, I don't know, man. Like, what do you think? What do you see? Um, and there was actually an instance where, our fresh, our freshman second baseman, um, also by the name of Mike, uh, he's pretty good. And uh, we were in an inner, inner squad on the weekend, and he made, I think he made like four or five errors in Tough one day. game. And by the, end, by the end of the inning, he's yipping it over there. And, uh, you know, I'm getting pissed off. Like, I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, let's go. But I understand, you know, there's a big, big mental aspect of this game. And he's a very, very quiet kid, especially on the field. So I go over to him. I'm like, listen, like you're okay. Like you are a great ball player. And I know without a doubt that you can do it. But guess what? I can't believe it more than you have, than you believe it. Right? Amen. You got to believe in yourself right now. Right now you got to nut up and you got to just do it. You can do it. I believe in you. I'm right over in center field. Like I got you. I know you got me. Let's go, baby. Like, come on, let's do it. Let's play ball. And, and I think he figured it out by the, at the end of the game. If I remember, he was fine the next day. Uh, but of course, you know, our, the whole other team who are our teammates were chirping and trying to make, yeah. make an error. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think just knowing, knowing your guys and being able to talk, it, it, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot less in this aspect about baseball than it is more about knowing people and knowing yourself and, and knowing your strengths and weaknesses, uh, I think is a big piece. Yeah, I think so too. And, and in that regard, like I know doing lessons here or just coming up, having conversations about baseball, right. And development within the game you always hear about how baseball is such an individualized sport. Like there's certain theories and certain principles that guys will talk about, but at the end of the day, like how you hit is different than the way your buddy Mike hits, how I pitch is different than the way somebody on my staff at Newark now pitches. Mm -hmm. So 
that individualization doesn't stop at just the physical. It doesn't stop at the way you perform on the field. It turns into how do you approach the game? What type of mental state do you need to be in to succeed? And that stuff's really important to see. And just like, you know, how am I going to get this guy to the best level mentally so that he can succeed physically? Because, of course, we all have the same goal, but the way we have to approach it turns out to be a little bit different. And I think, I think as you get higher at the higher levels, I think coaches really look and they really lean on guys that make other people, other players better. Um, and one guy that really did that for me was uh, playing with Jay Harry when yeah. we were younger. Unbelievable, talented kid, um, you know, you know, just carefree, happy-go-lucky kid. And uh, but playing with him at short when I was catching, I've never picked off more guys in my life. He was always working to pick that guy off second and he was always ready to communicate we were always on that just you know we were just on that level where we just knew like you know we knew we were gonna right. pick this guy off and, and it happened a lot and it, it was just it, it was a great and another like that pitcher catcher relationship you know there's a handful of games i can look back and i can remember man it feels like i was just on another level just me and the pitcher out there you know it was just us and we were communicating you know you can just feel it, it it's you yeah. can't even explain it with words you can just feel it when 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 you guys are on when your pitcher's on and, and when you when you you know, like you already know what next pitcher calling you know and you already and he already knows what he's throwing and it's just the same and you guys are just on on that same wavelength it's just unbelievable unbelievable yeah, it's a really cool thing to see, and it's a really cool thing to be a part of. I know, like one of the coolest things for me at Rutgers Newark is we have some we have some super talented young catchers on our squad, and one of the most fun things for me is like I'll call a pitch from the dugout, and he'll shake me off. He'll be like, and I'll, after the inning, I'll be like, what What are you doing shaking me off? Like that's supposed to be the pitcher's job, but he's like, Coach, I know what he wanted. I know how we're attacking this guy, and it's awesome to see, like you're saying, those guys that are on the field that are making everybody around them better, mm -hmm. like. The point I'm getting at is you're saying the coaches will lean on guys like that who have that leadership ability. And I think it goes back to what we're talking about, the stuff that happens off the field, because as much as we as coaches want the best and we're, you know, we're putting everything on the line so that we can win a ball game, even though we're at practice with you guys every day, we're at practice with the players every day, we don't have the opportunity to leave practice and go hang out with you off the field. Mm -hmm. So you might have had a conversation with your buddy that's pitching the night before saying, hey, this has been feeling really good for me in the pen, and we normally attack it this way, but I think we got to go at it this way going forward. Huge. Even if it's at you know midnight when you've been Huge. sitting around watching college football all day, mm -hmm. right? So that's something that as coaches, we don't really have the insight on. Mm -hmm. So we're going off, you know, I know this guy throws this way all the time. That's great, but you just got his bullpen earlier in the week, and you saw him now. Last week his changeup was working really well, but he wants to go more to the slider, and it looks nasty. I might not have that insight. So I think your point is 100% correct where coaches will lean on guys like that because as much as we want to be in charge and be in control of the situation, we might not always have that insight that you guys as players have amongst each other. Yeah, and I can see how that could be super hard to just, you know, let go and not micromanage that those relationships. Um, and, and I think it's it's a really big, really big factor. I can't tell you how many, you know, talks and, and I think it, I think it really really falls back on accountability. Yep. I think being accountable, um, because only you really know if you're pushing yourself. Um, and I think if you develop the skill to, you know, kind of scan the room and see, you know, who who's doing this, who's doing, you know, to the best of their ability, and, and if they're doing something to the best of their ability and something's not working, all right, let's uh, let's transition, let's pivot to something else, let's pivot to a different pitch. Uh, and I think that's huge, just communicating. I think communication's a big big factor. Yep. And then as coaches, we can always rely on a, on a guy like you or a guy in a leadership position to say like, hey, 
we know this isn't working and it's the fourth inning and we're minus a run. Like we got to pick it up. What What do you see? What are you going with? And to have that communication and to have that trust with guys in the program that really get it, a guy that, you know, has established himself and wants to be a leader and is, is able to fill that role. There's a ton of guys that want to be leaders that don't know what it looks like, but a guy like you're saying that can translate that and be kind of the mouthpiece between the connection point between your teammates and the coaching staff, then, you know, going back to culture, we have that environment that we know we can succeed in when those pieces fall into place. Mm -hmm. Talking about accountability, right? It, like we've talked about with everything here so far, it doesn't just mean how we perform on the baseball field. So what I want to get into here, another really cool piece of D3 baseball for me has been guys' ability to work jobs, like you're saying you yeah. do on campus, guys' ability to get internships in the summertime. Mm -hmm. I know that's something that, especially being a business school guy at Rutgers, every desk job that I would interview for said, how come you don't have inter in, uh, internships on your resume? Yeah, yeah. What have those opportunities been like for you? I know we talked over the summertime, you had a pretty cool opportunity to get an internship. So shed some light on that from an angle I might not be able to touch on just about, you know, getting off the baseball field life beyond baseball and what that, you know, workforce aspect looks like. It's, it's the same, man. It's different, but it's the same. Everything that we've learned at the warehouse, everything that you learn in the game of baseball, it, it, it's the same. You know, you go in. Just, just to start, I, I treat interviews, you know, the same way I treat baseball. I go in, I'm going to be myself. If they don't like me, okay, that's fine. Because it, it wouldn't have been a good fit anyway, you know? Exactly. I'm not going to try for those, uh, I feel like I, what is it, uh, the, uh, the uh, um, you know, they try to get the check boxes with the things they say. Right, yeah. You know, the pe people try to say certain things to try to trigger, you know, the interviewer that, or whatever. And I go in and I'm just myself, you know, I'm going to be my happy-go-lucky, you know, talkative self. I'm just going to tell them about my experiences. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to lie. And I think, you know, going into my internship, internship, they, I was also playing summer ball at the time. And, and it's one thing D3 baseball is really good for. You do, uh, if you don't go away, you, you have that chance for the internship. And I was like, listen, like, here's my summer schedule. Um, you know, I, I don't know, like, if I'm going to be able to come to this or to this. And I remember the interview, the interviewer, I went through three rounds of interviews and they were, they were like pressing me on it. They were like, uh, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it work, but I was adamant about, you know, I know I have the ability to do both and I will give you my, my best effort. And fast forward to the end of my internship and, and my boss was actually telling me, I actually accepted a full-time role with the same company. Awesome, man. Congrats. Thank you. Um, and, uh, so she told me, she was like, listen, like, uh, the, like, you know, we go through a bunch of interviews and, you know, when you have something else to do, like when you're not able to give your full focus, you know, usually we're like, yeah, I don't know, you know, next or whatever. And I, and they were like, you know, she made it known that, you know, I, I came to her and I was very, you know, straightforward and I was honest and I was like, listen, I can do this, but you know, here's what I need to do. Here's my schedule. I won't be able to make this day, this day, this day. I will be able to, I might have to come in at eight and leave at three instead of coming in at nine and leaving at four or five or whatever. Um, so I, I think that's a big thing. Uh, so uh, it, it was an insurance internship. And uh, so we had 10 interns in our office and, and it's sales. So it's very competitive. So I'm like, all right, let's go. So we actually had sales challenges every week with the other interns. So you would either be by yourself or you would be with uh, a team of interns and uh, judges. We would have judges, people that already worked with the office would come in and role play. And they would know, obviously, a lot more than you know, um, and they would give you scenarios. So for example, we would have to talk to a carrier or we would have to talk to a client and we would have to try to get them to take us on as their broker and 
you know, fire their current broker. And uh, it, it was, you know, it was so competitive and it was so fun because it's the same thing as baseball. It's like, all right, let me, you know, prepare. Let me do all my preparation so that when I have the opportunity to go in and make the kill during the conversation, uh, I'm going to do it. And, and if, I, if I don't win the competition, then I don't win. Um, and so, you know, we had a bunch of training days in New York and, you know, a lot of what they talked about was get 1% better every single day, always be learning, do the little things right. And, uh, you know, half the people that I worked with, super cool people, they were like, yeah, I had no idea what internship, uh, what, uh, insurance was before I started. I kind of just fell into it. Um, and it's not something you have to be scared of when, when you go into the real world, because, you know, as baseball players and as guys that aren't afraid to get our hands dirty and not know and, and fail. Failure is the biggest thing. Failure is the best thing that you can do in anything that you do. I'm a huge believer in that because you never fail. You either win or you learn. And, and they said that so many times throughout the internship. And it was just, uh, I was like, you know, I'm at home. Like, I, I feel, you know, people are good. The message is good. It's a good company. And, and I feel like I can really operate to the full of my extent in this company because they believe everything I already know. Right. And, and everything I practice day to day. Um, so that was huge. And, and a lot of the training was like, just get 1% better. And, and so like going back to what I was saying, uh, a lot of the people that worked there, they didn't had no idea what, what it was and they don't care. They, they bring you in and, and they, you know, they find the right personalities and the right fit and, and you figure it out. And everybody's, you know, willing, as long as you're willing to, you know, make a difference, help uh, and learn every single day, be a sponge and absorb all the info that, you know, comes at your way, you'll be fine no matter what you do. Um, so, you know, fast, fast forward to the end of the summer, um, and we had a regional sales challenge. So there was about, uh, I want to say 480, 500 interns across the country. Uh, so halfway through they flew us to Chicago and we had this big event. So it was cool to be in the same place as them. Uh, so fast forward to the end of the summer and we had a regional sales challenge. So this was the Northeast. Uh, so there was offices from Boston, Pittsburgh, uh, down in Maryland, maybe, uh, the Philly area, um, and New Jersey, New York, obviously. So there's about 70 of us. And uh, so my team had three people, including myself, and it was like a three round process. And it was pretty cool because as you went further and further, the judges got harder and harder. Like they were higher ups. Right. So we make it through the first round breeze. There's like, we go up against six teams and we make it through the second round. And the whole challenge was we had to present. So uh, we had to present a proprietary model, right. To, um, to, our client. So our client we chose was Stevens Institute of Technology, and we uh, presented a terrorist policy, terrorism uh, coverage. And uh, so, you know, we tried, we memorized this thing inside and out. Uh, you know, we got on the phone with a guy from London. Uh, it was super cool. There was a lot of people that were willing to help. And it really reinforces that you can't really do it alone. You know, you need that village. Um, so we get to the last round and there's five people sitting across from the table, uh, Chris sitting across from the table from us and there's three of us and there's a hundred people watching us and it's supposed to be like a 25, 30 minute presentation. <clears throat> and like the adrenaline's pumping, man. Um, and, and, you know, there's a guy from Atlanta, there's two, two people from New York. My boss was there and there's like a lady from Philadelphia or somewhere in PA and, and they're all wicked smart and they're all like higher ups in the company and we're going against two other teams. Um, and we just, you know, we were like, all right, you know what? They know way more than us. So we're going to go in and we're going to give them the reins. We're going to let them ask the questions. We're going to let them try to screw us over in our conversation. So we get, we did that and we made it super conversational with our whole pitch and everything. Cause you know, you don't want it to be like you're pitching and we gave them the reins and, you know, they kind of tried to knock us down, knock us down. And if we didn't know something, we were honest. We were like, 
it's a big company. You know, we have resources. We have this guy that we know. We have this lady that specializes in this. Um, but other than that, we stayed. We tried to stay on our general path. We let them try to knock us off, uh, and we ended up winning the challenge, which was super, super cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was hype. Um, but all the more, it speaks to you know every single day we you know did a, did a little bit, and the failure piece. There's this this lady in our office, Maggie Ma- Maggie McIntyre. Man, she is a tough tough lady, and we practiced with her, and she she is she's something else. I was on my I was in the car on the way to a wedding. I wasn't supposed to be working. We set up a Zoom call. It was the Friday. So Monday Monday and Tuesday was the conference. Tuesday was the challenge. It was the Friday right before, so the weekend before. Um, I'm on my way to a wedding, and we're in the car, and we have to, we have to go through our presentation. And we had three roles, and we're you know, doing our roles. I swear to you, I didn't get five words out of my mouth for an hour because she was just like <laughs> – she would just sit. She'd be like, nope. Don't say that like that. Don't say that word. Don't say that word like that. Like it, it was just ridiculous. And, and it was just like, fail, fail, fail. We were at each other's throats, the interns. We were at each other's throats. We were up until like 10, 11 o'clock at night, just trying to, you know, practice this thing. And, and it ended up bringing us closer together. And it ended up making all, ended up making all of us individually better. So uh, I think that, you know, a little glimpse into to what I went through over the summer, it really, baseball was the foundation for all of that. And, and all the experiences and people that I've met, um, definitely huge for all that. I mean, that's an incredible story. And for you to, for you to have the passion and the integrity and stuff like that, that you're, that so clearly comes out when you're telling that story, the impressive part of it is you're doing all this and you're winning regional national challenges. It was fun. You were playing summer ball and lifting and getting your working as a baseball player while you're doing all this. So I think that's a question that comes up in my brain a lot is like, whether it applies to can you succeed as a baseball player while you're trying to pursue a career or vice versa, can you do both? Obviously. Yeah. 100%. Obviously. You're going to love it. You love it. 100%. You'll right. figure it out. And I think I love the piece you said where you're talking about understanding how to accept failure and how to grow from it. I know a quote that I've been dropping a lot in my lessons recently is the Thomas Edison quote, where he says, I, I wasn't able to come up with my light bulb invention until like my thousandth try. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I didn't. I wasn't wrong a thousand times. I just found 999 ways that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And like that speaks to me in such a way, the same way your story does, where it's like, um, if you're looking at it as, oh, I failed and I should give up because that's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. You're kind of missing the point a little bit. Totally. All you're doing is you're continuing to develop and saying, okay, this is what I'm after. Now I can cross one thing off the that list and work. say, yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah, You've totally. improved from it. So yeah. like you're saying, we can learn from that stuff. And a really interesting connection I'm making as you're telling your story is, the, the attack angle you took on that final challenge was super impressive because I heard some stuff. I'm talking with my grandmother recently. She's a PhD in microbiology. Mm-hmm. Her story is when you give your PhD dissertation, you go up there and you're explaining this whole thing that you've worked for years on and you're trying to prove this point about your subject. And the people judging you are asking questions, asking questions, asking questions mm-hmm. from the same angle that you're saying where right. they know more than you. Exactly. Yeah. And she said, the only way you pass that dissertation, the only way they give you your PhD is if you get to a question you don't know the answer to and you say, I have to do more research on that. Yeah. They're trying to break you down and get you to say, listen, you're an expert in this field. We're going to give you a PhD in it. You're head and shoulders above 99.9% of people who have done what we do. But this isn't the be all end all. You have to continue to get better, continue to learn, continue to improve and stick to that. Get 1% better every day mentality. Yeah. Cause like if you BS it, you know, if you're in the cage, 
cage and, and something doesn't feel right, but you're hitting line drives to the back of the cage, you know, it looks good, yeah. right? So why not, you know, but you're only hurting yourself at the end of the day, right? It, it's not going to translate. You know, there's a difference between hitting the ball off the tee, it's not moving, and hitting the ball, it's coming at you at 90 miles an hour or whatever. Um, and, you know, a big – going back to that sales challenge, we were in the second round, just a quick example. Um, and one of the judges asked – they're like, well, the company's name's Gallagher. They're like, well, what's Gallagher's stance on guns? And my one uh, teammate started to answer. And I think my other teammate, she like – she like tapped him or something. I forget. And was kind of like, you know, like don't engage in that, you know, just kind of give a, a, an around answer. We don't want to engage in politics when you're talking to a client like that. Right. And after that, that round, they were like, we were uberly impressed with your ability to, to communicate. Cause we, I had never met these, you know, other interns. We had spent two months together. Right. So, you know, you're building a team. Um, you know, we weren't always doing the sales challenges together. So for our, and, and they really noted our ability to just weave and, and work off each other and bounce off each other and to, you know, not engage in, in, in that and, and be like, okay, like maybe I shouldn't talk about that. Or maybe, I, and uh, another thing was, you know, admitting when you don't know something like right. in that, in that final round, we, they were talking about something that had nothing to do with our presentation. We're like, yeah, like, honestly, we're not sure, but you know, we have X guy that we can, you know, hook you up with. We can, you know, set up a, a meeting so that they can give you some more information. Um, but let's get back on topic. And, you know, I think just admitting when you need help and admitting when you don't know something or when you don't know what something's supposed to feel like in the cage or on the mound, that's okay. That's what you're here for or what coaches are here for. You know, you guys have a lot of experience. And, you know, like you said in your first, your first podcast, you were like, I've had so many different coaches and you turn that, yeah, well, I've had a lot of different coaches in college. You turn that maybe downside into an upside because you're like, well, I have so many more different angles to learn from and I can take what works for me. So I, I think it's, you know, everything in life is perspective. You know, you take what, what's good for you and what works for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I just think it speaks a lot to understanding how to handle adversity, yeah. whether it's coaching staff changes, you know, getting your spot in the lineup taken by somebody else or winning a sales competition. A certain type of person could say when you get a weird question like that, what like what the heck are you talking about? And then everybody fails, mm -hmm. right? If you know how to handle adversity, you can say, okay, what angle am I going to attack this from? What different coaching staff voice am I going to use, right? What passion for the game am I going to fall back on to win my spot back? But also, it speaks on the ability that baseball gives us to operate in a team setting. And I think, you know, whether it's you've never had an internship and all you've done is play ball you know how to work in a team, you know how to compete the same way you're talking about. And then two, your one teammate steps in and says, hey, we don't want to engage in that type of answer in a situation like this, mm -hmm. right? Where this guy's like, oh, I can handle this question. I can take care of that. Mm -hmm. That's where the competitive nature comes in. But then for your teammate to step in and say, hey, we're going to do better if we do it my way, trust me. To have that trust and be able to understand that type of environment is something that's huge that gets taken away from the baseball field. Yeah, I remember talking about it with uh, Hondo Diaz, one of the coaches at the warehouse, uh, a couple years ago, and I don't, I think it was Hondo, and he was talking about how he didn't have any uh, job experience going into his job, and he was like, "What I, what do I need it for? I have all the skills that I need. You know, you know, you go, you go into so many different spots in the world, situations that make you uncomfortable, where you know nobody, and you still, you know." You still have to perform, right? That's that's mentally tough. That's adversity, right? You still have to do the little things, right? It's you've got to manage your body in out in heat, right? Yeah. Like, 
all those different all those different things and, and just the collection of those skills and skills you learn from baseball team building teamwork um you know how to talk to people how to treat people right because you know you do things one thing at a high level you do everything at a high level i i think I just think you come into yourself and you don't need that experience. You don't. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think, I think for a certain type of individual, it can be valuable, but I think to learning how to compete, learning how to be in a team environment, that's something that can be approached in a ton of different ways. And if for guys like us, it comes down to being on the baseball field, then that's great for us too. Hondo came on the podcast on his episode a couple of weeks back now and told that same story. And oh, did he? Yeah, just super I get, impressive. I, so, I started watching that one. I didn't finish it, though. I didn't hear that. That's funny. So now now we know Hondo wasn't lying to us when he <laughs> told that story, but that's great stuff. Um, and then what Hondo also talked a ton about was like making sure you're in a good fit, right? I think a lot of these lessons that we're talking about, we don't necessarily learn if we're not in the right place for us. So I want to I wanna get some perspective on Alvernia, right? You're, you're playing ball out in PA. You're a little bit further away from home. Talk about the campus. Talk about what, you know, what do you, what do you love about Alvernia? Give us some insight about the school and, and the place you're at. I, I love the size of the school. It's small. Um, it, it's a small campus. It's, it's a community, more family-like. And I think that, you know, I think that's for me. I, I think I would totally lose out if I was at a bigger school because I just, I don't know. I, I like, you know, walking around and seeing some people that you know that don't play your sport or that aren't affiliated with a team that you hang out with or anything like that. Um, I, I really like that aspect and, uh, it's not too far. It's only two hours, but you know, for the, I think for the ability for me to come back and, and see my family when I, if I need to on it and any given day, or if they need anything or for them to come see me or come watch my games, uh, have easy access to that. I think that was pretty big for me too. Um, and I can see how, if you're not in the right fit in that, in that, uh, in that area of, uh, when you're getting recruited or when you're looking for colleges, I think that can be you know, upsetting and problematic for some people. And, you know, you, you see, like, there's so many kids in the transfer, transfer portal now, and, and it's ridiculous. Like, you know, when you pick a four-year school, it's not supposed to be, like, you know, some year prospect camp where you go get better or something like that. It, it's, you know, it's a lot of money, and it's a big commitment. You know, you want to go somewhere where you feel at home and where, where the guy, you, you know, you can really buy into the message, uh, and you can grow as an individual. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that stuff's pretty big for me and at, at, at Alvernia. Uh, I just I love the small family size community. Um, I, that's pretty big for me. And, and the baseball team uh, is the best best team on campus uh, for the most part. And I, I think, you know, that was huge for me, too. I think going into a winning culture was was big for me as well. Yeah, I mean, what always sticks out to me is how many factors are important. Obviously, we're ball players. We want to go to school and play ball. But coming back and talking to guys now that have been through it the way you have to just say, you know, the culture is important. The campus life is important. The class size is important. How does it work out for my family and I financially is important. That stuff, that stuff makes a, makes it makes a ton of sense when you look back and think about it, where on the front end, when you're going through that recruiting process, you're not always, you're not always looking at it from that angle. From an outsider's perspective, if I'm going to visit Alvernia for a weekend, give me some spots I got to hit. Shady Maple, Shady Maple smorgas, Smorgasbord, I think that's how you say it. Oh my God, the best, best uh, breakfast you'll ever have. Amish, uh, all you can eat buffet, place is huge. Uh, it's out in Lancaster. Uh, That's I think. Amish territory. Yeah, yeah Lancaster, like uh, PA, you'll, you'll pass a couple horse and buggies on the way. Um, it, it's, it's unbelievable food. We actually went there. We used to have uh, uh, off-season workouts in the morning, optional off-season workouts in the morning, five days a week um, with our coach. Our coach is like 65 years old. He would work out with us. Um, just for like an hour, 
uh, in the morning at like six in the morning. And I think me and 10 guys went. Uh, and at the end of the semester, he took us out before Christmas and we went to Shady Maple. Um, it was about a 30 minute drive from school, but great food. They have breakfast, lunch and dinner. Uh, that's probably my favorite spot to go to on the weekends. Uh, that's a huge spot for me. So big shout out to Shady Maple. Shady Maple. Yeah. yeah. So Love next it. time I'm running through Alvernia, I'll make sure I check those guys out. Yeah, check them out. Another thing about Alvernia I wanted to touch on, we just had a guy from our 2023 class here at the warehouse commit to Alvernia. So what does it mean to you to be a guy where, I think you're the first guy from the warehouse to go to Alvernia. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be able to kind of like grow that name and extend that network? Well, it's a funny story. Um, so obviously he was my recruit. Uh, my right. coach set me up with him. But uh, so we were inter-squatting that day when he came this fall. And so I go over, he's sitting on, in the stands. And I was like, Quincy, what's up, man? Like, how you doing? He's like, I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited to be here, all this stuff. I was like, yeah, man, I'll catch you after the game. Like, we're going to have a great time. No worries. So I'm out in center field. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was just going to say, it. like, there was a ball line drive right over my head. And I'm playing deep. It was our four hitter. Hits a, a missile. And I'm going back, going back. And ball, like, I don't know if it skimmed my glove or went right over it. And it was step, wall, bang, I'm out. Like, I'm on the ground. Trainers are running over. I try getting up. I couldn't even get up. My face was on fire. Like, my head, like, right here. Um, and I had a concussion. So it's kind of funny because he, he was supposed to make my recruit. And he was my only recruit from the warehouse, too. Um, and I ended up, like, I was like, yeah, dude, like, I, I tossed him to, like, a freshman or my roommate or something. And I was like, listen, like, I need to go sit in the dark room and sleep for, like, three <laughs> days, which I did. Um, so I was really upset about that. But knowing that the culture um, where I came from is coming to, to Alvernia is, is, is very pleasing because, you know, I see how much my coaches lean on me to, like you said, you know, deliver that message and that relationship that when you guys go home, I still need to hold our guys accountable when, when nobody's watching and, and be an advocate for my teammates as well between my coaches. Um, so I, I, I'm really happy about that uh, just because, you know, everything that, you know, Joe Augustine and Hondo Diaz and, and all the guys here uh, at the warehouse instill in us because, you know, you know, those little things it, it might seem little, but it, it can be tough to get those little things right. And, you know, once you get them right, they just, you know, they it's like a snowball effect. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know the cool thing is to be in a program where you can be part of the program and you can be a fan of the program at the same time. I yeah. know it still is so cool to me. I'm like a little kid, like watching uh, whatever, watching highlight tapes when guys from the warehouse come into Rutgers these days. So it's awesome to like yeah. sit here with a smile on your face and say like, like we're still rooting for the program while we're in it. Cause I'm sure, you know, we've all heard horror stories like you're talking about with the portal where guys want to go yeah. somewhere and get out, but it's awesome to, have that stance and it's funny because you tell that story about you running into the wall the first recruit i had at Rutgers, kid jacob newman from chicago he came to campus we had a blast during his official visit when he was on campus staying over with us first big 10 conference series that year we go out to illinois so mm -hmm. he takes the whatever it is 20 minute trip from his house to watch us pitch at illinois it was the first and last big 10 start of my career <laughs> I get up on the mound, I have a no-hitter through two innings, and then in the third inning, I gave up seven runs before yeah. I got an out. So I get a text from Newman, like, hey, tough one today, like, bounce <laughs> back, right? So now me and him are tight. Yeah. Um, same thing you're talking about, where the connection goes past the baseball field, but yeah. it's cool where you can be in an environment where you can root for guys to grow that network and come to the school you're at, even when you run into the wall and get a concussion, even when you give up seven runs before, you know, you can for turn sure. around and even look at the scoreboard. Yeah, so, that's a good feeling. 
Yeah, and it's cool, like we're talking about this whole time today, is like having those relationships with those guys where it means more than just X's and O's on the field or it means more than the result of the play. I've got an I've got to interject a question here. Of course. How many times have you been to Are You Hungry? More than I can count. I had the over under in my head set at like fifteen. Oh, hammer the over. Oh yeah? Yeah, uh, yeah. Way over. But the thing is, at Rutgers on campus, you can get the fat sandwiches anywhere. Any oh, yeah? pizzeria. Any deli, like, they'll cook you up a fat sandwich. So Are You Hungry is, like, the mecca. Like, you um, go there. They're open late night. Yeah, so yeah. If, you're ever, if you're ever around, like, I remember sophomore, junior year when I'm really getting into those upper-level business classes, being at Alexander Library, Are You Hungry is right around the corner. And then up that same street was where I was living, my apartment. So mm-hmm. I would come out of the library, whatever, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Everything else is closed, but the lights on Are You Hungry are on. Yes, sir. So if the over or under set at 15, the, the over hits. Oh, I good. promise you on that one. Life's too short to bet the under. You know? <laughs> Last thing I have for you today, I appreciate all your time. It's been awesome having you on here with me. What I want to get into, just from a little bit of a selfish perspective, is you had a little bit of a taste of coaching. I know last summer you and I got to get on the field and coach yep. up those boys a little bit together. So outside of, you know, having this awesome opportunity to go work full-time at an insurance company, what does it mean to you to kind of delve in and continue to give back to the baseball community that's up and coming the same way, you know, we talk about our environment here. That's what we're all about. So mm-hmm. talk about what it means to you to have an impact on guys that are coming up through the program now. Yeah, I I think – I mean, you know, Honda was my coach when I came through the warehouse and he, he helped me like tremendously in a lot of aspects of my life. And one of the biggest things for me was I used to, sometimes I still do, but not nearly as much. I used to get so like frustrated with myself and so mad at myself. Honda was like, dude, relax, take it easy. (laughs) Um, it It was so funny. But for me, you know, I haven't coached a lot, but seeing that on the other end, like, you know, being able to help guys with baseball and being able to help them handle baseball and, and handle life, I think I think that's really cool. And I think it's really important too because, you know, so many guys come through here, I think, and I don't think a lot of guys figure it out. Like, you know, and that's just the God's honest truth. Not knocking the warehouse by saying that. It's just how it goes. Like, as you go higher up, less and less guys, you know, it's kind of like that funnel. It gets tougher and tougher. It's tougher and tougher. And I think, you know, helping guys figure it out, you know, you, you know, look at how many college uh, commits that you guys have now and division one commits too, uh, compared to when I was, when I was here, uh, it's a tremendous amount, you know, that new wall in the strength and conditioning room uh, in the gym, we have a wall with all the strength and conditioning colleges that, that the kids are attending uh, and now we had to start a new wall and that wall is going to fill up really really quick um, a lot quicker than the first one filled up I think um, and, and just you know helping those guys progress in any way that you can help them whether it's telling a guy to you know take a deep breath and relax and, and teaching him how to breathe when he's on the mound or, or when he's hitting or or you know you know tweaking his his style or his swing or, or you know interjecting your wisdom and, and like that combination of everything that you learned when you were going through it. Um, I, I think it's pretty cool. And I think it's, I'm very thankful uh, to just be able to do that for anybody. And I think it's really, uh, it's really a great, great, great part of uh, the game that I appreciate. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of fun for me still. Cause I think I, I don't try to talk about this a bunch just from like a standpoint of humility and staying humble, but I think it's cool for like, I know you and I were helping out with guys that were in seventh grade, mm-hmm. but uh when I'm not with those guys, I'm with my guys that are juniors now, which is crazy because I've been with them since they were in eighth grade. But I think it's still cool for these guys to say, listen, like a guy like Tommy, a guy like Eric, a guy like Hondo, fill in the blank with guys we have here, awesome staff. These guys have been through it. These guys have 
gone through college or high school baseball. These guys have gotten to the college ranks. We've got a number of guys here that play pro ball that where it's like, listen, however you are as a coach, whatever we're going to do X's and O's win or loss on the field, these guys have these experiences. And if the kids we're coaching have a question or they want to figure out how to do X, Y, or Z, they know they're talking to somebody that's been in that position before and they can handle it. So, Yeah. And I think from, from a parent standpoint, I remember doing a lesson, I think, uh, I think it was not this past summer, but the summer before uh, a catching lesson. And and the father asked me, like, oh, what's the program like on the phone? Like when I was, you know, he had inquired about uh, catching lessons. And I was like, like, listen, like it's a it's a no BS atmosphere. Like we're going to tell uh, I forget what the kid's name was, but we're going to tell your your kid what it's you know what it is, not what they want to hear. Right. right. And it's not like a, a pay to play kind of thing. It's like, you need to come in, you need to do the right things right. And you need to do them often. You know, it's not, you come in, you go through the motions and then you go out and you go to X, Y, and Z tournament on the weekend, uh, wherever, you know, a lot of these, you know, travel programs nowadays, they have all these flashy uh, uh, tournaments that they go visit. And that's their, that's their, uh, their banner. That's what it draws the kids in, draws the parents in. Uh, whereas the warehouse, I think it's the honesty. And I think it's the, uh, you know, the support and, and the, our ability to, you know, yeah, we've been through it and we have guys at, because you have guys that go through it that are still like, they go out and they're, you know, they're not good coaches. You right. know, I think having the combination of guys that go through it and, and know how to be good people and, and have it translate to the rest of life uh, and, and doing the little things right. Uh, when you're, when you're, when you're talking about baseball, um, I think that's an important combination to have. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And that kind of brings that kind of brings everything full circle, right? We start off the conversation talking about figuring out a way to get 1% better, right? right? If a coach is just telling you what you want to hear, I got a tough time believing you're really going to improve. Right. And then two, how you do something is how you do everything, right? right? Whether that be on the baseball field, whether that be in a lesson, whether that be the way you're teaching a kid, or whether that be the way the kid's locked in and learning, right? I know Joe loves to tell the stories about somebody comes in without their belt or somebody's you know, walking down the baseline when they pop up and he says, Hey, take today off and we'll see you the next time. Right? Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm sure these days there's a lot of programs where that kind of stuff doesn't go on. So I just think we're super fortunate where we have an environment where we know our kids are going to improve. We know that we're going to do everything the right way because we got to do the little things the right way. And I think to put a bow on everything we've talked about, right, just having that solid culture, having that good environment is something that becomes really important on the baseball field and then life off the baseball field, beyond the baseball field. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So Tommy, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks, I can't yeah. thank you enough. It's been a ton of fun having a conversation uh, with you. It was a pleasure, man. I'm really glad to be here. Happy, uh, happy that you enjoyed the conversation and best of luck to you getting back to school and on the field this spring. Thank you. If we run into you, I won't say good luck, but for now, good luck. Listen, we still got to compete once we're between the white lines. Exactly. Right? So I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. Thanks again, Tommy, for the uh, for the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. And for Tommy Fagioni, I'm your host, Eric Reardon. We're signing off. We're good. We're out. Thanks, bro. How long was it? An hour and two minutes. Wow. Dude, that might be the best one I've done so far. That, I'm not even that was fun. That was a blast. Yeah. I'm going to help you break this stuff down, though. All right, I appreciate it. I'm just going to get it all on the camera. It's one, two. Three strikes, you're out at the O.